Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School podcast. This is episode 193. 193, baby. This is six of 13. We have seven episodes to go. Nine days. (laughs) Someone asked me yesterday how I'm feeling about it. Uh, (laughs) It looks like that I'm rocking it, but how am I feeling? I'm feeling good. Yeah, it's um it is a big project. <laughs> it's a big sprint. Uh a little bigger, I think, than I imagined. <laughs> it's taking a little bit more time and energy and effort than I first envisioned. Uh but I'm okay with that. I will do a recap of how the whole experience felt, how it went, what I learned, what I would do differently, uh, how I approached it uh, when we reached 200. (laughs) We've got to get there first. Are you with me? Uh, (laughs) I hope that you're with me. Uh, You can cheer me on if you want by sending me a DM, uh, writing me an email or a message, sharing that you're listening to the podcast episodes, uh, your biggest takeaways, what's resonating with you. Uh, Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. So today, she's going to be a big one. I'm not going to lie. This is going to be big and heavy with a lot of info in it. And I have spent a number of hours, quite a lot of time over the last couple of days, uh, pulling this podcast together, <laughs> uh, reading, researching, uh, planning, writing, thinking about it, because this is not something that I know deep down to the roots of its core. Uh, We are doing a three-part series because I love a series. (laughs) Uh, I just did a series on how to approach your training and I need to do part five that needs to go up on the gram, which is on my list for this week, which is all around putting it all together, uh, the prescription of it or what it could look like for you in your training to help you plan your training. And then I was asked a few questions around how our hormones affect our training. So I thought it would be really cool to do a three-part series. So the first part was talking about how our hormones could affect our training in our menstrual years. Today's is all around pregnancy and postpartum and I'm going to kick us off with a disclaimer and that is that I am not an expert in pregnancy and postpartum. I have worked with over a dozen women who got pregnant and uh, I led them through their pregnancy when it came to their training. 
I have done Dr. Stacey Sims micro learning on pregnancy and postpartum. Uh, I've read research, I've read guidelines, uh, but I'm still not an expert in this section, uh, in this season of your life. So I'm just going to throw that out there that what we talk about today aren't recommendations unless I quote recommendations from uh, certain guidelines and certain bodies or certain research papers. Uh, I'm just going to pull from many different resources today. So it took me a while to prep and plan for this. uh, And I have a bunch of notes here that we will talk through. But yeah, I highly recommend that you create a whole team around you when it comes to this season of your life. So consult your OBGYN, your midwife, uh, your practitioner, uh, doctor, uh, pull in a pelvic floor specialist, uh, have a team of people that can help you lead this season powerfully. But today we're going to talk about the hormonal changes that happen during pregnancy and postpartum, uh, energy changes, anatomical and physiological changes that happen, and the recommendations for exercise. So basically, we're just going to talk about how pregnancy and postpartum may affect our training and how we can navigate uh, this season things that we can do, recommendations, strategies. uh. And so as I said, she's going to be a bit lengthy, a little bit heavy. Uh, I really will try and keep her as short as I can, but um, let's do it. Shall we do it? Okay, so this podcast episode is on how hormones affect your training, part two, pregnancy and postpartum. Welcome to the Warrior School podcast, the podcast for women who train. I believe following a plan that works with your body and has a timeline of years is the future of women's training. I also believe women can train hard. We just need to learn how to do it in a respectful way. So Warrior, this is your go-to show for practical information on training, nutrition, hormones, and performance. Myself and tons of experts will help you create a training strategy that works with your body and gets results. I am your teacher, Amy Bow, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. Okay, let's do it. Let's start. I thought a really cool place to start would be just quickly talking about energy changes during pregnancy. There's this idea that, you know, we're eating for two. Uh, And also on the other side, a lot of women I know are in low energy availability. So they're in this low energy availability state. They're not eating enough food to support their physiology. Then they're training on top of this. Then when you're in this season of your life and 
you are looking at getting pregnant or you are pregnant, we do have slightly increased energy demands, although not as much as we may think. But the reason that I wanted to start here and draw attention to it is that when we enter this season of our life and if we still want to be healthy, uh, have a healthy pregnancy, have you know a healthy baby, recover well from uh, the pregnancy and get back into our training, we really need to come into this season fully nourished and I've actually done a couple of podcast episodes with Lauren from Innate Fertility and I highly recommend that you go back and listen to those. I can pop them uh, in the show notes. Lauren does a lot of work around fertility and what they call trimester zero And I really love this idea because when we're talking about pregnancy, we often think of the first, second and third trimesters. But actually, there are five trimesters. Trimester zero, which is this period of time before pregnancy when we can actually start to really look at our fertility and making sure our body's nourished and our minerals are, you know, we're not in a depleted state. Uh, And so I love this idea of trimester zero. It's like, you know, when I talk about building a training foundation, so we've got to survey the land, clear the land, lay the concrete, lay that foundation And we can look at it that way when it comes to this season of our life. Uh, I've worked with uh, a lot of women and a lot of women that I work with a lot of mums. And what we see, you know, after multiple children is alongside with maybe being in low energy availability for a really long time, maybe training in a way that's a little stressful and not working with the body and the physiology they end up in this very depleted state, this very stressed body. And so looking at it over five trimesters, I think is a really cool place to start. We've got trimester zero and we can start preparing for this season of our lives early on. And uh, so look into the work uh, of Lauren from Innate uh, Fertility. And I know there's many other powerful women out there that I celebrate that are doing some really cool work when it comes to this trimester zero, making sure that you're nourished, uh, that the body is not depleted so you can come into this time uh, really set up. So then we've got the first trimester, the second trimester, then the third trimester, And then we land into the fifth trimester or also known as the fourth trimester to some people. And that fourth trimester is postpartum. So after you've given birth. And that also is a really important time for a woman. Okay, so we want to try and come into this season fully nourished and kind of the the tank is topped up (laughs) and we're ready to go and move through these four trimesters. 
But let's actually look at the energy costs or what's going on from an energetic um, perspective in trimester one to three. So the first trimester, they say that uh, the increase in energy is only about 100 calories per day. Then when we get to the second trimester, they recommend an extra 350 calories per day and a weight gain of 0.5 to 1 pound or 0.25 to 0.5 kilos per week gain in weight. And then the third trimester, they recommend roughly around 450 extra calories per day and a weight gain of 0.5 to 1 pound or 0.25 to 0.5 kilos per week. Um, So the same as the second trimester. So in the first trimester, it's only an extra 100 calories, which, you know, is just a little bit, maybe a little snack or a little bit extra at each meal. And then the second trimester, we're potentially looking at adding yeah, another small meal or more calories onto our main meals or an extra snack. And then that third trimester, we're around that 400, 450 calorie mark. And so potentially that looks like an extra meal. Uh, And when I've worked with women, we've just worked into spreading it evenly over the day. So we can still stabilize energy, stabilize uh, blood sugar, If they are quite active, we've actually worked it into pre and post fueling for their training. So those are the energy changes that happen during pregnancy. The next one that I wanted to talk about were the anatomical or physiological changes, which, you know, really interests me uh, being in the training space. So I'm just going to list out a few and then we'll go deeper into looking at what's actually going on in each trimester and then how that could actually affect exercise. So there's some big uh, shifts that can happen uh, over the pregnancy. One is the center of gravity actually shifts. So we're being pulled forward from the baby and the extra tissue and this really becomes quite prominent in that second trimester Uh, and even more so in the third trimester, late stage pregnancy. We have changes in proprioception and coordination. So often women will experience uh, more swaying, uh, they're off balance a little bit more, their gait changes, especially towards the end stage of pregnancy. There's also some cardiac changes that happen. So we have increased blood volume and increased in resting heart rate, increased in stroke volume and cardiac output. Uh, so we're building tissue and we are growing a fetus. So uh, it takes a lot of work. And so from a cardiac point of view, there's a lot going on, a lot extra We've got changes, excuse me, changes in muscles and uh, postural muscles. And so we get this uh, load that gets put, you know, through the pelvis, through the lumbar. We get tightening or lengthening of the muscles around, you know, our hips, our pelvis, our lower back, our core and our pelvic floor. Uh, Something really cool that I read, which I actually didn't know, was that 
we have a 1% to 3% loss of bone density per trimester, per trimester. I didn't know that. And so looking at some of the research around these physiological changes, this was something that really popped up for me that I didn't know. And so the bone turnover is just higher because we're growing and developing the fetus. That can increase our risk of injury or stress fractures, especially in our hips and spine. Uh, but it does come back. So what they they talk about some of these changes as transient changes. So changes that happen during the pregnancy, but then after pregnancy, they go back to where they were. So it's just a transient change, not permanent. So that's just an overview of some of the big changes that happen. The original question came from this place of wanting to know what happens hormonally and how might that impact our training. And hormonal Changes are a part of it for sure, just like they are a part of the conversation when we're talking about training um, and our menstrual cycle, but they are just one piece of the puzzle. So we've got energy changes, we've got these anatomical and physical, uh, physiological changes, we've got hormonal changes, and all of these things play a role in uh, how they may affect uh, our training, our exercise so the two that, um, you know, the two main players uh, that take center stage are estrogen and progesterone. So they're kind of our chief pregnancy hormones, uh, just as they are the main players in our menstrual cycle. So a hot fun fact, which I also didn't know, is that a woman will produce more estrogen during one pregnancy than throughout her entire life when not pregnant. That blew my mind. <laughs> so we have this increase in estrogen and what that really does, it enables the uterus and the placenta to grow. So it improves the vascularization. So the formation of blood vessels, uh, it, which then helps us transfer nutrients uh, to those areas. And that really supports the developing fetus. And so it's really about improving blood flow, uh, growing the placenta, uh, getting enough nutrition in and supporting the growth of the fetus. So it rapidly increases in that first uh, trimester. And some of the research says that that's actually what may cause some of the nausea that some women can experience uh, in that first trimester. And then during the second trimester, it's, it plays a major role in the milk duct development. Uh, and that's what enlarges the breasts. And then it really peaks in the third trimester. Then you've got progesterone, uh, which are also very high <laughs> during pregnancy. That's why it's aka the pregnancy hormone and the changes in progesterone actually cause the uh, laxity or loosening of the ligaments and the joints throughout the body and so we'll link this back in when we talk about how um, you know some of these hormonal changes can affect our training in addition though uh, these high levels of progesterone actually cause 
internal uh, structures inside of us, uh, so like our organs, can increase in size. So, for example, the uterus. Uh, so progesterone plays a really important role in growing the size of the uterus. And then the uterus actually connects to our kidneys and our bladder. And so it's really important in transforming the uterus from I think our uterus is the size of like a fist or a pear, I believe they say, or it could be an apple, but I think it's a pear uh, in a non-pregnant state. And then the uterus obviously accommodates a full-term baby. So there's a lot of growth there and progesterone plays a really important role in that. Then there are some other hormonal changes and I'm not going to go deep into those uh, because one, I don't have the depth of knowledge around what what goes on uh, with all of the other hormones, but I know that there is a change in our TSH, so our thyroid. Uh, so the thyroid helps regulate our metabolism, so every cell in our body. Uh, the you know the metabolism. Think of it as like a bridge. We eat food, and then the metabolism. The metabolism is the bridge that gets that food into our cells so we can produce and create energy. And when a woman becomes pregnant, those thyroid hormones need to increase in order to support the baby's development, uh, like neurological and bone development. And so TSH, uh, there is an increase in our thyroid hormones. Then they have a, there's a hormone, it's the placental hormone, I think it's HPL and it's a hormone secreted from the placenta and it's thought to develop, uh, to help the baby grow. It's also one of the main hormones connected to insulin resistance during pregnancy or gestational diabetes. So, uh, you know, some women do develop diabetes. gestational diabetes uh, in that second trimester and it can lead to the overgrowth of the baby and so it is uh, connected to this uh, placental hormone. Prolactin is another one and that hormone stimulates the development of breast tissue to prepare for lactation so that really ramps up in the third trimester and it's uh, 10 times higher at the end of pregnancy than it is at the beginning. So that one really peaks right at the end. Then there's some others, uh, but basically after the body releases the placenta, so after the birth, all of the hormones that it was producing at those high levels, so the estrogen, the progesterone, uh, relaxin is another one that the body produces HCG, uh, the placental hormone, that goes with it. (laughs) And uh, our estrogen and progesterone are the lowest they will ever be until we actually hit menopause um, postpartum. And so this is why many women can start to feel those postpartum blues. uh, And some women can actually experience and endure postpartum depression. We're also sleep deprived Uh, (laughs) uh, and this sleep deprivation is linked to cortisol and cortisol is a stress hormone. So that also impacts the way that we feel. So we've got this plummet in hormones. We're also probably sleep deprived 
Uh, we've got, you know, cortisol running, running through our veins. And so there's a lot going on. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to the postpartum section. And then there's oxytocin. And so breastfeeding and skin-to-skin contact with the baby uh, trigger and release oxytocin, which that's why they call it the love hormone. And that helps with our milk uh, production if breastfeeding. All right. So let's look at how pregnancy going through those hormonal changes and experiences are especially those anatomical and physiological changes affect our training. So the first trimester, we have increased blood volume, increased cardiac output, an elevated core temperature because we're building tissue. So we're more metabolically active and we have increased ligament laxity. So there's an increase uh, in relaxin and estrogen And that's circulating and that's what um, can increase ligament laxity. We also potentially could be experiencing nausea and that can be because some of those hormonal changes that are happening. They've linked uh, the the rise in estrogen and also HCG to, to the nausea. So how might those things affect our exercise? Potentially, we can reach max intensity sooner. So we actually have changes in our breathing. We have a higher respiratory rate. Um, As the body is, you know, it's building tissue, it's also being really protective. So in this first, the body is extremely smart. And uh, in this first trimester, it really won't let you push very high. It definitely doesn't let you push into those anaerobic, um, you know, zone zone five, high intensity <laughs> sit uh, style of workouts that we've been talking about on the podcast. And so because of these cardiac changes, we can reach max intensity sooner. So it's a protective mechanism to not... Um, create too much stress on the body and to not overheat the body essentially so we have a shorter time to fatigue and it's a shorter time to reach that critical core temperature so we're we've already got an elevated core temperature uh, and so then when we start to exercise obviously that affects our temperature and so the respiratory uh, changes the cardiac changes help protect the body not to overheat and not to push too hard to protect uh, fetal development. Uh, We can also have an increase in range of motion, which potentially could increase injury risk just because relaxin starts flooding the body. So we can have this increased ligament laxity. Uh, And fatigue is a big one that's experienced by a lot of women in the first trimester alongside Uh, a prominent symptom, which can be nausea. Then in the second trimester, the anatomical and physiological changes are the same as the first trimester plus more. (laughs) So when I was like going through the research and planning this and, and working through these, it was like, this is what happens in the first trimester. And then the second plus, and then the third plus just keeps... We keep adding, adding all of these um, cool things to, to the experience as we move through the pregnancy. 
So we've got the same as the first trimester, plus we've got the greatest weight gain actually happens in the second trimester, even though they do call it the golden the golden time or the golden period, or I know it has golden in it because a lot of women actually feel the greatest in the second trimester. And I know all of the women that I've worked with um, that have been through pregnancy have felt the greatest in the second trimester. But we do have the greatest weight gain uh, in this part. We also start to get shifts in the center of gravity because of the growth of the fetus and the tissue in the front of the body. This can change our gait, our proprioception and our balance. Uh, We can have more fluid retention and we can experience a weakened pelvic floor. So how might this affect exercise? So same as the first trimester plus... (laughs) Uh, we might experience being out of breath. So struggling to catch our breath or, you know, if we have done a lot of running or endurance sports or zone work, we may notice that um, we might not be able to hold the zone uh, like we did before pregnancy. We might feel like we're out of breath a little bit quicker uh, than pre-pregnancy Potentially, we're unable to complete some exercises due to balance and coordination. Uh, Although, and I think what's really important when we're talking about this is that uh, it's, it's a very different story for a woman who has a very strong training age, who has been training for a really long time and or who is an athlete compared to a woman who has no training age, you know, maybe she doesn't train um, or, you know, she doesn't have a strength training background or has done no aerobic work before. Two very different conversations um, and two very different ways to approach um, uh, programming and exercise. And so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But potentially for some women, we may be unable to complete certain exercises due to balance and coordination. Although I haven't really seen that with all of the women that I've worked with who've built a strong foundation, uh, they have still been able to do uh, a lot of movements that require balance and coordination. Potentially we can experience stress incontinence with resistance training or lifting heavy. Uh, And so we just start to feel this extra uh, pressure through our pelvic floor. So this would be a time where we would start working with a pelvic floor therapist. So all of the women that I've worked with, uh, the second trimester is when I start to get them to see a pelvic floor uh, specialist and that therapist will be part of their team all the way through uh, third trimester postpartum. Then we have the third trimester. So the changes are all of the previous changes from the first and the second, plus we have even more additional weight gain. Uh, We have an increased um, arch in our lower back. So basically we get more lumbar lordosis because we've got you know, a heavier, heavier baby in there. And, 
you know, quite a large uterus and the placenta is bigger. So we've got a lot of tissue growth that's happened and the baby, you know, especially when we get to the end of that third trimester, the baby's almost at full term. So we, we definitely get this really big increase in lumbar lordosis. So a lot of pressure through the lower back, through the sacrum, through the pelvis, uh, also increased foot size. And I kind of knew that something went on with the feet uh, because some of my women had experienced uh, their feet growing during pregnancy, but actually it's a, it's a thing uh, in a lot of the research. One of the changes is foot size and this can be swelling, but also the muscles in the foot change to compensate for the weight um, and the gait changes that happen. And uh, what they do find is that, especially towards the end of the third trimester, poor appetite, just because there's not enough room in there. (laughs) There's a lot going on. So that kind of um, presses a lot on the stomach and can uh, potentially lower a woman's appetite. Okay, so... How might that affect exercise in the third trimester? So all of the previous uh, changes or effects that we mentioned in the first and the second, plus uh, uh, restricted range of motion, because now we've got uh, this big belly. (laughs) Uh, So potentially we don't have the range to do certain things. So for a lot of women, I see it in their squat. So we have to go to, you know, wider squats, box squats. Uh, The belly just can get in the road for a lot of movements. So we may need to modify and alter activity just due to discomfort. There's a lot of load going through the body, through the lumbar. And so this third trimester, we might need to start, um, you know, the hips are tight, the back's tight. Uh, so we, we start to look at modifying the program and modifying a lot of the exercises. And this, um, all of this depends, it's very different, uh, woman to woman, pregnancy to pregnancy as well. So just like when I spoke about uh, training with our menstrual cycle, that. Every woman's cycle can be a bit different and cycle to cycle can be different. It's the same with pregnancy. And this is why um, being connected to your body, listening to your body, having a great team around you is really important. Uh, Also, we may be a little bit more fatigued (laughs) and we just need to watch out for dehydration. We've got an increased need for fluids in this later stage of pregnancy. And we just want to watch uh, for, we really want to eliminate energy uh, deficient fatigue. So lower appetite means potentially lower energy availability. So not taking enough food in and then we can get fatigued from that. So we just want to watch fueling, especially uh, around training or exercise. So let's just talk a little bit about the benefits uh, on the mother. And they also talk a lot about the benefits on the fetus, but I'm not going to go into those today on the podcast episode, but the benefits for the mother. And I think these are really important to talk about because uh, there were, there's a lot of myths out there. 
um, a lot of noise, I guess, in one, the health space, two, the female health space. And then you start to get into these very specialized seasons of our lives where there's even more noise around what we should and shouldn't do and can't. And there's a lot of judgment and comparison and criticism. I think the thing I'll say on that is that, you know, this is why I truly believe that you need to know your own body. You need to spend the years leading up to this season tracking and connecting with your body, understanding your body, knowing how to fuel it, uh, knowing what feels good and what doesn't, uh, knowing how to confidently progress and modify what you're doing in your training and your life based on what your body is telling you. It will be your superpower when it comes to this season of your life. So the benefits, why would you exercise? (laughs) Well, I think we need to do it for our health and like pregnancy aside, every woman needs to train for her mental health, for her mood, for her her hormonal health, uh, to make sure that she has muscles, for her metabolic health, uh, strong bones. Um, And so we all need to train and exercise, but for a woman and, you know, a pregnant woman, what, why, why do we keep going? Uh, often you'll hear like, you're doing it for the labor, you're training for the labor. And yeah, I think maybe there's some, uh, you know, relevance uh, to that. And of course, you know, coming into um, the birth with some type of aerobic fitness and being strong is a very cool thing to have, obviously, because it's a very, you know, big experience. Um, But there are many other reasons. And I I don't think just saying you're preparing for the labor is is enough. Uh, My good friend Libby Westcombe, actually, Libby and I are kind of on this, I don't want to say rampage, but... uh, (laughs) We're, we're on this mission right now to really talking about how it's okay to push ourselves. It's okay to do challenges, do sprints, do hard things, you know, especially if we've got a strong foundation and we're nourished, we've got strong biofeedback. Doing sprints and challenges is actually, they're really good things to do. And we can look at pregnancy as that it's like this nine month challenge this nine month sprint where there are there's so much going on hormonally physiologically anatomically uh, and we can't sustain that forever and so then the period of time ends at that nine months or around then uh, and then the body slowly, you know, heals and returns to the ba- to the foundation, to the baseline. Uh, and I really love that. I love that analogy. I like looking at uh, sprints and challenges from that perspective. So when a woman trains during pregnancy, it improves her aerobic capacity, uh, improves her fitness. It can help prevent 
gestational diabetes uh, because if we're training, we've got better blood sugar control. Uh, It improves her mood, posture, her muscle strength, her balance, her coordination, her endurance. Yes, it can prepare her for labor. Uh, It does improve our sleep quality. So training actually really helps our sleep. Uh, And so when we might be really struggling in that third trimester to get comfortable and to sleep, uh, training and having an exercise practice can improve your sleep quality. But, you know, there is very little research on female athletes and exercise which, you know, I really dug deep and Dr. Stacey Sims talks about this quite a lot in her work. One, women aren't studied (laughs) well. I'm actually reading a really cool book right now called Up to Speed by Christine Yu. And it's all around uh, the science and research of females and female athletes. And it's a really cool book. It's broken into, you know, different sections. Uh, You know, I'm our adolescence, our menstrual cycle years, pregnancy, uh, and then menopause. And it's she's a journalist and she's basically gone and pulled all the research of like when, how well are women researched and when do we start researching us and what's the research saying when it comes to women and exercise, women athletes, like women in sport. There's not a lot uh, and particularly when we're looking at pregnancy and postpartum, when it comes to female athletes, there's not strong guidelines. We don't have a lot of research. There was actually a study done in Canada and it was really the first of its kind and it was a group of Canadian sports scientists that collected data from 42 elite runners throughout pregnancy, postpartum, and post-pregnancy. And they wanted to look at the volume, the intensity, and the type of training the women did, as well as their competition performance outcomes. And so this was this has not been done really before. It's one, they think it's hard to study women. And then you've got this, you know, this special season where there's a lot going on (laughs) during pregnancy. Uh, And there's just, there's a lot of variables. There's also a lot of ethics involved um, in it as well. So when they looked at these 42 elite runners, Uh, what they found is that their average pace slowed down and their running volume decreased throughout their pregnancy, declining from about nine to about six sessions a week. Uh, Though they ran less, their total accumulated weekly training volume was nearly maintained throughout the pregnancy, uh, right up until near the end when it dropped from about... 430 minutes a week to 340 minutes a week and they did a little bit more cross training as their pregnancies progressed so most of the women returned to exercise about six weeks after delivery um, and they were back to about 80 percent of pre-pregnancy training loads about three months post-delivery 
About 64% of the women said they intended to return to at least the equivalent or better running form post-pregnancy. So among the women, there was actually no statistical decrease in performance one to three years post-pregnancy compared to pre-pregnancy. In fact, what they found was that about half of them, I think it was 55, 56% of them, improved their performance postpartum. And among those who had no intent to perform the same or better after having their baby, 10% still improved. Although what they did find is that their return to running after uh, their pregnancy was not without complications. So half of the participants reported an injury postpartum that delayed their return to running and or competition. So a lot of these women actually competitively ran. So most of those were musculoskeletal injuries. Uh, So sprains and strains, uh, bone stress injuries. A lot in the foot, uh, uh, knee, some in the hip. So the, the authors of the study concluded that it was possible that those who experienced the injuries returned to training too quickly. And it's totally possible. And we'll look at um, postpartum, postpartum recommendations and guidelines uh, in a second. But I think where the big gap is, is that there's not, there's not strong guidelines. There's no support for these women who are athletes that may need to or want to return to their sport. And so we really need a lot more research. We need strong guidelines to support women uh, in this postpartum period to return back to uh elite competition to their sport. So one thing they did talk about was how important it was to actually look at the fueling of these women. And so if we're not fueled properly, and this is for uh, women who aren't um, going through pregnancy or who aren't postpartum, if we're in low energy availability, that increases our risk of injury and stress fractures. So it's really important to look at how well are they, how well were they fueled, um, you know, coming out of that uh, postpartum period and returning to their training. Uh, a lot of women are quite depleted because growing a baby takes a lot of energy, and then potentially if a woman has breastfed the baby, that also takes a lot of energy. And so we really need this time, I believe, where women are being really, you know, powerfully led through this re-nourishment and making sure that they're eating enough and we're replenishing a lot of our vitamins and minerals. So in the end uh, of this study, the authors really concluded that for the first time, we can confirm that those athletes with an intent to return to pre-pregnancy performance levels that are able to remain injury-free have equivalent to improve performance outcomes while maintaining two to three times the training volume of evidence-based published recommendations with no significant adverse maternal fetal outcomes. And that was one of the biggest things that they were looking at because there are recommendations and guidelines from uh, 
um, ACOG, A-C-O-G. And these women, and a lot of the time female athletes, actually train two, two and a half, three times more (laughs) than recreational females. And so they really wanted to look at, okay, if a female athlete did that, are there any adverse maternal fetal outcomes? Now, this is just one study from, you know, with a small group of women. uh, and, And I think that's really important. We need more studies, more women, especially women athletes to pull out strong recommendations and to create guidelines. So let's just kind of recap on the exercise recommendations. So the type of exercise they recommend, uh, they actually redid the guidelines in 2020, I believe. They were, I don't know how old they were. They might have been 2010 guidelines and then they redid them in 2020. And the type of exercise they recommend is aerobic, so cardiovascular, walking, cycling, swimming, running, uh, you know, stairs, elliptical, but basically they say, don't start something new. Like if you are a cyclist, don't just start running. Uh, If you're a swimmer, don't just start running. Uh, Now, of course, if you're an athlete and you have a good foundation, you've got a high training age, potentially you could look at starting some, you know, some other type of aerobic activity again you would work with your doctor your OBGYN uh, potentially you'd even have a coach or you know a whole team a physio a midwife a pelvic floor specialist so just pull on your team and you know your body you're in your body Uh, and if you're an athlete you know you should have decades of you know data and experience within the body And so I don't like their blanket statement of don't start something new. Now, for a woman who might be more recreational, maybe you just run a few times a week. Yeah, potentially we, you know, you might not want to start hardcore road cycling. Um, (laughs) But again, I would work with the team. We want to do balance training, especially in the first and second trimesters. And really, you know, when when I read this one, uh, what came up for me is that for all women, you know, we should have a strong strength training practice that has built, you know, muscles, strong tendons, ligaments, strong structures. We should have an element of, you know, stability training in that strength practice. So we should have a good foundation here, um, you know, good balance, coordination, proprioception. Uh, But potentially if you don't uh, have a strength training practice or you haven't had one for a while and you're entering your first trimester, adding in some type of balance, stability, proprioception training can help you as you move through pregnancy. They also recommend resistance training. So again, if you're a novice and you don't have a strong training age, they just recommend starting light loads, you know, higher reps. Basically, the goal here is to reduce pain or discomfort and injury risk and just to improve posture and balance. If you are a woman who trains, uh, 
over the pregnancy, potentially we're looking at modifying the loads and the positions. And the motto kind of is maintain, not build. And so for a lot of women that I've worked with, they've still been able to lift relatively heavy. Uh, They've still been able to do, you know, squats and deadlifts and pull-ups and push-ups. But throughout the pregnancy, as we, especially as we get into that late second, third trimester, we're just modifying the exercises, uh, the way that we load the body, the positions, um, and we really just want to maintain, maintain health, maintain strength, uh, and we're not looking for, you know, for PRs or PBs. Although, you know, I'm sure that there's some athletes out there that potentially could get a PR or a PB even during pregnancy. Uh, The volume, they say minimum of 30 minutes, you know, up to 60 minutes a day. And they do recommend actually doing something daily, some type of movement or exercise daily. Basically, the recommendations will say that we just want to modify it based on each woman, her pregnancy uh, and each trimester. So the new guidelines... 2020 by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, so ACOG, they recommend that women with uncomplicated pregnancies should be encouraged to engage in aerobic and strength conditioning exercises before, during and after pregnancy. Exercise is associated with minimal risks, although some modifications might be necessary because of normal anatomical and physiological changes and fetal requirements. So they also state that women like us who have habitually engaged in vigorous intensity aerobic activity before pregnancy can continue these activities during pregnancy and postpartum period. Just adjust according to how you feel and how your body changes. The priority number one is the health of you. So the maternal health, the health of the mother and fetal health. And so there are uh, a bunch of contraindications that impact your training and your exercise. Again, you need to lean into your team, work with your doctor, midwife, OBGYN, physiotherapist, therapist, pelvic floor uh, specialist. So you've got things like preeclampsia, carrying twins changes the game. Uh, You've got risk of premature labor. So my mom had really high blood pressure. So I was born to term, uh, but my two sisters, Erin was nine weeks preemie and then Kayla was five weeks preemie. So my mom both had emergency C-sections. So she was monitored really closely Uh, in her second and third pregnancies. Uh, And so that was a contraindication for exercise for her. And there's many other risk factors that can affect your training or your training program. So there are some classic kind of guidelines that still stand the test of time uh, from the old guidelines to the new. And that's avoiding a lot of supine exercises after the fourth month. So a lot of lying on your back and it can compress the vein that carries blood from the uterus uh, and could limit oxygen to the baby. So the vena cava. Um, 
We want to avoid the Vasalva maneuver where you forcefully exhale while keeping your nose and mouth shut to lift heavy. And so they say that places too much pressure on the abdominal cavity and can cause unsafe changes to the blood pressure. And then the third one is avoiding exercise in high heat. So we want to take it indoors uh, to a cooler environment. We really want to monitor our hydration and avoid exercising in really hot, humid environments. Uh, The heat risk is quite real, especially in that third trimester where we've got um, potential for dehydration. So we really need to up our fluid intake. Um, And I just really wanted to tie out... uh, tie out the podcast episode with a couple of really cool examples. Now, I have a bunch of case studies from the women that I've worked with. The way that I normally approach it is on an individualized basis. So it will depend on the woman's training age, her foundation, uh, her pregnancy. uh, And basically what I do with my women now, it's all about the body is the boss. And so we've got to adjust We've got to listen and be aware and then adjust, progress, modify based on what the body is telling us. And it's the same through pregnancy that the pregnancy uh, is the boss and we just want to adjust and modify, progress, change based on the health of us, you know, the mother and then the health of the baby and also what's going on in our body. But there are some really cool badass women out there. Uh, So Lizette uh, Perez, she is a marathon runner. And in 2019, she did the Boston Marathon and she ran it while she was eight months pregnant. So she's been running for all of her life. (laughs) And she found out that she was pregnant a week after she qualified for this very I think it's a very prestigious event. It's really hard to get into the Boston Marathon. So she continued running and she got, and she had a whole team behind her, regular checkups. And then race day came and she said that she did take it easy, (laughs) that she had lots of breaks. You know, she ate a lot um, and she finished in five hours and 49 minutes. And she was she was healthy. The baby was healthy. She actually gave birth to her baby a month after the marathon. I remember Amy, one of my um, clients that I had in Melbourne in Australia, Amy and I worked together for like seven years. And her first, uh, I remember we did a training session the day before she gave birth to her daughter. Uh, (laughs) Uh, And that's happened a couple of times, actually. Women uh, have trained, you know, a day or two before they've um, given birth to their children. And then Serena Williams, uh, she won the, I think it was 2017 Australian Open. When she was eight weeks into her pregnancy, she was 35. And then she returned to tennis six months later and she won another title uh, at the age of 38. And then recently there was an iron woman, uh, Chelsea. She was 33 
And she won the 2022 World Ironman Championships in Kona in Hawaii. Uh, I think it was 18 months after giving birth to her baby. And the one thing that she said, which struck me, she told, you know, in a post-race interview, we shouldn't have to choose between being world-class athletes and being mums. And I really love that. You know, I... I talk about it a lot as in you are the most important person in this world. You need to look after yourself and nourish yourself and train uh, in order for you to lead others powerfully. Those being your little humans, you've got to lead yourself powerfully and you shouldn't have to choose. You should be able to do both. Now, of course, it can be a little bit of a different story when we're talking about a recreational, you know, female um, athlete compared to an elite female athlete resources um, can be a little bit different but we shouldn't have to choose yeah between being these women that have energy are strong feel great in their body even during pregnancy and postpartum uh, and so That's why we need to pull on a team of people that can help us still show up and train and feel great during this season of our life. Okay, we're just going to round out with postpartum. Uh, I feel like it often gets forgotten and I feel like this can be a really hard time for so many women. It is a hard time for so many women. All of the women that I've worked with, they've really struggled uh, postpartum. You know, there is a lot going on hormonally. Uh, Your whole routine and life uh, and rhythm is very different after birthing a baby into the world. You're tired. You're not sleeping. (laughs) You know, there's a depletion from a mineral vitamin uh, perspective. uh, And so there's also uh, body image stuff, uh, body composition stuff, the body looks and feels really different. So as I said, I like to look at it and it's also classified as the fourth trimester and we need to treat it like we would the three trimesters. We need the same support, uh, guidelines, attention in this fourth trimester. Unfortunately, I think what happens a lot of the time is that a lot of women will go and get their six-week checkup and then that's it. (laughs) Uh, And I think by six weeks, you're just realizing that, oh my goodness, wow, like I, my whole life has changed Uh, and you're kind of coming out of that post-birth, you know, high haze um, time period. But the um, ACOG, They do have some guidelines. So they do say, this was in 2018, they said that six weeks is the shortest time to resume high intensity, high impact exercise. But then their new guidelines, uh, they do recommend 12 weeks to ensure adequate healing and strengthening of the pelvic floor. So they call it a return to exercise uh, and it's influenced by a lot of different things. And so when you're thinking about returning to training or returning to exercise, returning to your sport, we need to think about the physical and the psychological factors. So we've got the healing time, uh, you know, the tissue healing time, depending if you had a vaginal birth or a C-section, you might have restricted movement. 
we've got how like what was the birth like was there any trauma the type of delivery uh, was there a prolapse what happened with the pelvic floor um, or the rectum uh, how is the the mood and the mental health of the mother is there any depression uh, how's the health of the baby there's so many variables uh, when we're looking at returning to exercise the number one is healing and pelvic floor retraining. Those are two really vital things that we need to do. And it's only been in the last five, six, seven, eight years that we've really brought in this conversation of the pelvic floor and having pelvic floor therapists a key part of our pregnancy and our recovery. But they actually... so. If you had a natural birth, they'll say, you know, return to movement or exercise three to six to 12 weeks after. They do recommend 12 weeks, but you can start doing gentle movement, gentle body weight movement, short, easy walking, um, you know, breathing, certain um, pelvic floor work uh, a little bit earlier than 12 weeks. If you had a C-section, you do have restrictions in movement so the tissue can actually heal. But they do recommend, you know, in they say about 8 to 12 weeks and you can do similar sort of things, short, easy walking, uh, very easy body weight functional movements, uh, breathing exercises, uh, certain upper body movements, basically to train your body in the positions that it's going to be in a lot post uh, postpartum. So feeding positions, um, cradling, holding positions. It's a lot of rounding through the shoulders. So a lot of women will experience neck pain, trap pain, uh, back pain uh, due to finding themselves in positions that they hadn't trained for. And that's a big thing that I've noticed in my work Uh, working with women is that we actually have to even before they give birth we start to actually train them functionally for the positions that they're going to find themselves in a lot all right so basically we want clearance from the doctor once we get to 12 weeks Uh, so we need to pull in our team pelvic floor doctor OBGYN everyone okay do we get clearance at 12 weeks All right, now we can have a return to training program and we really want to do it slowly. Uh, We want to basically we're rebuilding that foundation again because we have changes in hormones uh, from the breastfeeding. The cycle can take time to return. There's still muscular and ligament changes happening. We just want to do it slow. The biggest thing that comes up in this, you know, this 12 weeks to six months postpartum is low energy availability. It's a massive concern. Uh, And so women are already in a depleted state uh, post-pregnancy because they've just given a lot of their nourishment (laughs) to their baby. Uh, Some of them have had a really hard time nourishing themselves in that late stage pregnancy because of low appetite. Then they've had the baby then potentially women who can breastfeed are breastfeeding, which is a very high energy demand. Uh, And you've got, you know, the hormonal changes, sleep deprivation. So not eating enough, low energy availability is a massive concern. And so I'm seeing women, you know, years later, 
after having one, two, three, some of the women that I work with have four or five kids. Uh, and they've just been in such a depleted state for years and years and years uh, because of this uh, low energy availability. So we really want to watch that. And this is where working with someone that can help you rebalance your hormones, that can help you create a strong nutrition strategy to get energy in, uh, to replenish your minerals, your vitamins, uh, to make sure that you're hydrated, uh, it's a really important time. I'm actually working with a woman right now who, and she is uh, nine months uh, postpartum, but she's having uh, what appears to be a lot of thyroid stuff going on. So cold, um, constipation, low energy, uh, and and there's some other symptoms. And so there is actually a thing about postpartum thyroiditis where uh, we start to get some thyroid issues that develop uh, after pregnancy. So we're looking into that right now. And one of the things that I'm just noticing, she is a, she is a midwife. And so she spent, you know, a decade stressed, overworking, not nourished enough, and then came into her pregnancy, potentially not nourished um, up enough. Uh, And now this is not, there's no blame here. There's no shame here. We're just looking at it from a physiological perspective. Uh, So a lot of this stuff we were never taught. Yeah, this is the stuff that we need to be taught uh, in school or When we're thinking about, this is the stuff that we can take ownership as women. If you're thinking about getting pregnant, you need to think about coming into it fully nourished. Uh, And so we're working now on her nourishment, getting enough energy in, uh, trying to restore some of her minerals. She's still breastfeeding at least four times a day. So her energy requirement is quite high. And we're just noticing this knock-on effect um, postpartum, which we think has to do with the thyroid. Uh, So basically, they talk about it as a three-phase model, uh, and they talk about it as return to sport. And the first phase is recovery. So that's that up to 12 weeks. It is all about recovery. You've got to recover from the last nine months plus you know, postpartum period. It's like you've gone on a sprint, you've done a challenge, you've done like max effort work. uh, And so now you need to recover. It's like a deload. (laughs) You need to get energy in, restore energy, get your minerals back up, uh, rest, sleep, let the tissue heal. Then phase two is like this rehabilitation phase or return to training, strength training. So basically you're rebuilding the foundation. So we need to look at, okay, what's coming up in the body? Um, Was there trauma from the birth? What's the pelvic floor doing? Was there any prolapse stuff? Are we experiencing any, any pain or discomfort from, you know, just activities of daily living now, like feeding, nursing, you know, being in this kind of seated, uh, hunched over position. Uh, So we just want to look at the weaknesses, look at the pain, potential, you know, injury that might have occurred during the birth. uh, 
And so you want to be working with your pelvic floor specialist, rebuilding the foundation, going back to your basic movement patterns, starting with your body and rebuilding from the ground up. And then phase three, they call it competition. Uh, basically, it's returning to pre-pregnancy level. Uh, and this is up. This can take up to six to 12 months after your birth. Uh, okay, I think that's enough. What do you reckon? Hopefully it was helpful. If you want more information, as I said, jump in and do Dr. Stacey Sims micro learning course on pregnancy and training. Uh, there's the ACOG guidelines that you can read. Uh, I'm sure there's uh, Lauren from Innate uh, Nutrition. And there's a lot of other amazing women out there that are working really powerfully in this space. Uh, so lots of resources for you. But thanks so much for listening. I know it was uh, heavy and there was a lot of info in there. Uh, so I appreciate your time. And that was number six of 13. And so I'll be back uh, with number seven. And we're going to talk about how our hormones affect our training during perimenopause and menopause. Okay, bye for now. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another Warrior Woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.